Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Talking. I'm Cheryl. And I'm Sherry. And we're back again with yet another topic. This time the topic is teachers and speech pathologists. And Sherry, when I first broached this to you, you were like, well, why are we trying to <laughs> talk about teachers? Let's talk about SLPs. Well, again, I think the topic that you had talked about was the overload that teachers are, yes. are uh, bearing these days. And my concern was, well, they, yeah, they have a, but don't they have a union that can represent <laughs> them and they can talk? I, I thought we should talk about the burden speech paths, but... But then there was another little aspect to it that kind of got me little ri- interest, riled interested, up. <laughs> little interested, sparked your interest. What has happened was it really wasn't in my experience, but it was yours that in some settings that you had worked in, teachers themselves were being asked to do speech and language therapy. <laughs> I'm like, really? I said, oh, no, that never happened in my school division. Yeah. I mean... In a, in a uh, tiered uh, RTI, uh, response to intervention model, uh, they had a role, but they weren't the speech and language assistant, and they weren't right. trying to, oh, and I was just flabbergasted. Yeah. Well, and if I could maybe just talk a little bit about my experience there. So um, what it what it actually came out of, speaking of RTI, was the RTI model, is that it appeared to me that some administrators or maybe some ministry personnel had gone down to the U.S. and learned about the RTI model. And when they came back, it seemed like they had maybe misunderstood what it, what it was. And like, we absolutely have, have talked about this a lot. Yes, yeah. They didn't, they don't get <laughs> RTI in Saskatchewan. No, that's another was, podcast we should do, <laughs> yeah, definitely. So yeah, so starting with screening and going and so forth, and so that obviously isn't happening in all places. But in this particular case, it appeared that they had come back with the notion that teachers could just do it. And when I would ask, what do you mean teachers will do it? Are you saying teachers will do the programming, the actual programming, or... Are teachers doing general class programming? Because general class programming it, is not going to help the child who can't say the k sound. If they can't say, you know, cat, and they're saying titty tat, just doing a general class alphabet program is not going to help them. There isn't the intensity, and you can't spend, you know, three weeks doing the k sound when the rest of the class needs to move on to a different yeah, sound. Especially if the child can't make the k <laughs> yeah, sound. Yeah, they can't make it at all. So, you know, are you saying they'll do some general class programming and that will help? Or, or like, what exactly are you proposing? And their response was always, yes, that's what we're proposing. So they were proposing it all. So the teacher was going to do, you know, whatever needed to be done. So if it was general class programming, if it was therapy, intervention, they could just take it on. And, you know, truthfully, I feel so bad for the teachers because some teachers really did try, you know, like they knew there were kids in their classroom that needed, you know, speech programming or phonological programming or language programming, and they did try. But it is really hard because, as we've already talked about in previous podcasts or other podcasts, there's a lot going on in classrooms these days. There's a huge variety of um, needs in the classroom, 
and they cannot take on one, teachers cannot take on one more thing. So then the teachers end up feeling bad because I would go back a month later and say, how's it going? Do you need more materials? And they would look really sheepish like, oh, I didn't get to it. I started it, but then I... I didn't get to it. I got three new students, and so and so had a seizure, and then you know what I mean. Like it just well, and with twenty-five kids in the room, and you, how can you possibly work one-on-one for the length of time that it would take to help one child? And could sound, yeah, you know, I mean, it's not possible. It's it's ludicrous. Yeah, no, it's not possible. So it is. (laughs) Yes. So I just wanted to, to to say that teachers are completely overloaded and overwhelmed and I don't think we need to put one more thing on them and it's it helps no one it just you know as you say it's not intensive enough even even if the teacher can you know understand it and I can get back there quickly enough to monitor the program and change the materials and so on and so forth it, it it's not going to be sufficient well again it's not one child when we've yeah. talked about it before we're talking about how greatly those numbers have increased and so you're talking about children with language delay children who are delayed in phonological awareness children uh, who are on the autism spectrum um, children who have uh, regulation difficulties they're they have attention problems memory problems i mean you that load and um also again kind of redundant on it from our other podcast, but that social promotion model that has already made every classroom have a wider range of diversity than they ever have had in historically in the whole time that any of us would have ever worked. Um, it's just, it's beyond, beyond. And the other issue is the, you know, the level of training, like even for ourselves as SLPs, we know there are things that we would not tackle in the school setting because we wouldn't have the correct materials or experience or training or, you know, it's been, for example, in my case, I did take some swallowing training in my first or second year, I guess, of working. And I felt comfortable at that time with the clients that I was working with at that time that I could do that. But, you know, that was however many, you know, 38 years ago. I'm not going to take on a, a, a feeding and swallowing client in the school when I don't have the correct training for it. So I feel like, how do teachers feel when I'm asking them to do this, you know? Um, and there was even research done, um, and it was reported, this was years ago, through Castlepa, and it was regarding um, people asking teachers themselves to be interventionists, and even given, you know, intensive training on a specific thing that they were going to intervene with, um, the research showed that, you know, as time went beyond, like, after a month, then two months, then six months down the line, how comfortable they felt. And again, it's not their wheelhouse, and it turned out they weren't comfortable, and the the programming waned, and yeah, it lost momentum, and yeah, it yeah, the, I, I remember a study, I wish I could remember the name of it, but it was a study about uh, an SLP who spent six months of the school year training teachers one-on-one to work with kids who have language disabilities, but it was to provide sort of whole classroom instruction. It wasn't 
individual. So it was something that a teacher might be more comfortable with, doing whole class instruction on language. And that's great. And at the beginning, once the teacher was done the training, or the SLP was done the training, the teachers were implementing the program sort of with, you know, 90% efficacy. But as you say, then, you know, sort of nine months later, a year later, and then by the second year, they weren't doing it at all. You know, it, it is just not in their wheelhouse. It's not something that, you know, you have the, if you don't have the background for it. And, and we found that in our own uh, scenarios, even uh, fairly recently in the school division I worked with, but the expanding expression tool, and we were able to get that um, uh, writer and designer of that program to come and, and give a workshop to the school division um, division-wide and how to um, and then we we went uh, further and and helped facilitate those programs in um, modules and um, and it's it's a fabulous program and it had so much outcome and we were measuring the outcomes and everything and then a year goes by and fewer uh, they don't have it as kind of a standard anymore. That, mm -hmm. And yet, then they're asking, well, can you give us some more ideas on how to do v <laughs> yes. vocabulary, yeah. facilitate vocabulary? Well, it's EET does that. Yeah, we already oh, did that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but do you have anything else? It's just like, yeah. well... If there's some new magical wonderful. thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, it, it the, all those efficable programs take a lot of facilitating to help yeah. teachers uh, use use them easily yeah and uh, they have to be convinced obviously well they they weren't convinced that that was but what I they wanted to I do. you know what I don't know if it's because I felt like there was quite a bit of initial good reception and uptake with teachers on the EET but it I feel like it's more their background knowledge if you don't have sort of the background knowledge to know why you're doing this, you're not going to be as motivated to do it. Do, do you know so what I mean? So maybe there is a gap in in um, professional development that needs to continue to happen every year with, with you know, and there will always be some newbie teachers. Right. And, and yeah. you know, um, to help facilitate that to happen. Or even to have the conversations, why did you start down this road and now why do you not want to use this tool anymore? They're, you know that those would be great conversations to have. I think that um, part of the problem also is with the diversity that um, classroom teachers that load that they're bearing, and you have, as I say, social promotion, and and you are you have measurements maybe in in um, reading and math, but I think every year when children say move from grade two to grade three, now that grade three teacher almost has to start again. She's got maybe 15 different uh, uh, programs that she has to sort of customize. Children are working at a different level in math. This one's struggling in, in reading. This one has dysgraphia. This one has autism, this child. And all of that load, you have to have those assessments someone to assist you or have the time or whatever to find that benchmark where are they because in order to have really successful happy learners they can't it can't be above them it can't be below their their learning 
um, level. It needs to be just at the, the uh, motivating level. Right. It has to be exactly the exactly right instruction. And and that that takes that takes time to know as well. Do you do you know what I mean? Like it, it takes time to know with each individual student, but it also takes some skill oh, to, sure. to to be able the to num- figure that. The numbers yeah. don't don't help you because I, I've, no. I've had I've yeah. had teachers come back to me. They've got a, a, a standard score of such and such. They've done yeah. the testing on yeah. something. Yeah. What does that really mean? So yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, I think that that uh, that measurement part, and if you're not measuring any, and you don't have a, a pre-test and a post-test, you don't know whether you're having outcomes. So, you know my you know my story, Cheryl. I do Get know your those story. Outcomes. Get the outcomes. Well, I'm with you on the outcome thing for sure. So, um, what about those? Kids with uh, developmental language disabilities. Yeah, I, I think that invisible, we've talked about yeah, that. Luckily, we've, we've touched on that in our yeah. other podcast. I don't think Saskatchewan school know yet the impact that developmental language disorders are having on all of the students. I think I, they're seeing reading difficulties. Yes, that's what I was just going to say. And the struggle of reading, but but the actual issue is much larger it's dld yeah that uh, that is exactly what i was going to say it's not i think they're seeing it through the reading scores and through the the difficulty and then thinking the the interventions is more reading need to be (laughs) needs to be in reading and it needs to be in language yeah 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 um and it it, again uh, having those students and that profile of student uh, it does make children if they're having difficulty interpreting what you're saying, it's like the Charlie Brown teacher. Wah, 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 wah. And then yeah. the teacher will say, uh, uh, tell me tell me what you're, uh, uh, you just heard me say. And none of them, I don't know, I don't know. Or well, they say something completely say, different. You're not, you're not listening. <laughs> yeah. Well, they were listening, but they didn't process. No, yeah. That's the, I think we had meant to talk touched on this in one of our previous podcasts it's like well uh little red riding hood's going to her grandma's and then you ask where's little red riding hood going school the store like like, it's and it's not that the kids aren't listening it's not the listening it's not the attending it's language and i'd throw out that analogy of a foreign language yes you get if you were sitting in in a grade three classroom and you've got grade one uh, uh, language there mm-hmm. are aspects there's vocabulary there's grammar there's little maybe plurals uh, markers on on words and you don't process it and you don't understand and you didn't get it and it how frustrating it is and yeah. this is what these kids live with all the time all the time all, all through their entire school so um in addition to the the load that teachers are bearing with all the diversity and the speech and language uh, issues. One of the other major issues that's happening in Saskatchewan and is related, and it's part of that neuroscience uh, research, is that children who grow up in generational poverty um, have differences in their readiness to learn and their brains and their memory and their uh, ability to sustain their attention 
and those factors have also compounded to me all the the classroom teachers load because you have to be um, aware and, and in the readiness to learn it's it's all the things that are maybe going on at home the social things the fact the parents uh, they go home to to some of them to uh, homes where there's addiction there's uh, children who don't uh, have uh, safety for sleeping food um, and security they're yeah. transient yeah they, mm. they're moving from this like place just to chaos. that place yeah and that's that's not a profile of aboriginal people that mm. is a profile no. of generational poverty and you will see that in inner city new york and for the in, appalachian mountains yes the, yeah. rural tennessee yeah i mean and it's the same they've done research on it they know a lot about it and how it it's it is affecting learning so um th that's compounded because that was not to the degree that when we yeah, were growing I, up i didn't see it i mean maybe it wasn't we didn't see it but it, i don't think that it was well and the numbers weren't there i mean yeah it, yeah i, I guess I probably so, yeah. again a lot of a lot of those uh, those people were not in our uh, well, our they, own worlds right I mean or or they weren't attending right yeah, they yeah. just simply weren't attending because of the chaos maybe yeah, was yeah. the issue um, and then of course the other one that really adds to the Saskatchewan profile is the loss of Aboriginal languages and that whole you know residential school scenario where People were pulled out of, children were pulled out of their homes at a young age, and then they didn't see how to parent because they were pulled out of their homes. So they didn't see all their younger, younger siblings being parented, and they had to learn a new language, and then they came back, and they... And and I think, yeah, there's only been just, what would it be, three... A couple of generations, Two or three yeah. generations, yeah, that they would have... have spoken an indigenous language yeah then they go away but then they probably didn't have a great standard of english to well them. and when they went back they would have been speaking like if they wanted to speak to their parents and grandparents they would have had to speak in their their native tongue which would be totally appropriate but they but, weren't immersed in that language so right. they probably weren't the strongest in those languages right either. so they didn't sort of have either language and then and then of course then they had children and then their this cycle is and is, modeling that that language yeah. gets modeled and yeah, yeah. you're so. you're a product of what you hear in a, a language that's for sure right and so again the the whole idea of of you know where where do speech paths fit into you know, helping teachers lighten their load and, and who's in what lane. And, um, you know, one of my, my biggest issues is I, I just feel I'm, I'm a t uh, speech and language pathologist and I have certain credentials. They are teachers and they have certain credentials, you know, right. and um, they're not licensed to provide speech and language services. So I, I would really, um, for for the people who are out there who think that that model they want to stick with that model or they are perpetuating that model i would i would just challenge them to look at a different model and and see that there's going to be far more outcome from um taking that load off the teacher's plate oh, right oh for sure um one of the ways and and years ago this again we talked about it a little bit came from the states and the response to intervention and that was 
the exact same scenario we're dealing with. There were too many children who were failing and the numbers were so great, they were far beyond what the norm would be of struggling learners. So how could they possibly deal with that? And that's when they came up in the States with response to intervention. Exactly. But keeping in mind that every child who had a, a disability or a, 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 any severity to their disability by law had already had had services by law and was was taken care of. Well, yeah. With, so with they regards to intervention. Yeah. So they needed to provide those services, those appropriate services, to all the kids who actually were identified. But then they, they were children at risk. Then they're yes. So then, SLPs were allowed to take 15, 15, not fifty, fifteen percent of their time up to that amount to work in the classrooms with kids who were at risk and who didn't have an actual diagnosis. But somehow in Saskatchewan it sort of got turned around. It's that, oh, SLPs will just provide all the programming through the classroom teacher. And that's, it's, you know, there is a place for SLPs to provide training on tier one skills to teachers. We've already talked about the EET and there's a whole host of programs that we'd love to expose teachers to. But in Saskatchewan, we don't have, I mean, most of our kids who have an actual communication difficulty are not receiving the anywhere close to the amount of speech and language intervention that they need. So yeah. I feel like that's the priority. And people may differ, but my point is that kids who are at the tier three level, who have already a diagnosis, who are already delayed are not going to benefit much from general classroom strategies. It's like saying to the person who already has, you know, four arteries blocked in their heart that they need to eat healthy and exercise. They already need a bypass. Telling them to eat healthy and exercise is not going to stop the heart attack because they already are critically at a point where they need intervention. Yeah. They don't need Intensive. they Intensive don't they don't need a handout to tell them what, you know, vegetables and fruits they should be eating. That's not helpful. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the other dynamic in that is, you know, it starts off with with the green tier 1 level and that's going to be given to the entire classroom. And yes, I think we absolutely have a role in teachers uh, that's where we do want them to understand all the precursors to reading and make sh ensure that they are you know, including those in their programming. And then, then the children who, who have struggles with that and continue to have difficulties in any communication area would be moving to tier two, and that's yellow, right? And that's a 12 to 16 week program. So we're talking about three to four months should take care of it, right? So they are kids who, yes, if, if they're not given help, they probably are going to continue to struggle. But keep in mind that we have children who can be identified as red tier three children the minute they walk in the school door because exactly. they've already been identified in preschool. 
as having that severity of a communication well disorder. and there that's where we get to like a quality screening program and I think again that's a topic maybe for another we have, I think we touched on that in one of our, our other podcasts is do we need a provincial screening program to identify these kids and at least get a handle on the numbers because well, that's part of your needs assessment yeah yeah, yeah. Find, so. finding and knowing then yeah. you'll know how many speech paths you need <laughs> that's right so we've we've talked quite a bit about this topic of teachers. So do you think we've helped out I don't know teachers. if we've helped teachers at all, really. They do, but they do need our advocacy, though. They do. And I don't, I, again, as you say, some teachers would love to do some of the aspects of programming we and, and do and, and are, are wonderful at carrying up programming in partnership with Speech Paths, but there are aspects... They don't want to do it either, and we don't want them to do it. And right. so again, let, let's. Um, we're curious what our listeners are thinking about this topic, and I, right. I'm hoping that you will, you know, get on our our uh, website and or Facebook and give us some comments. And, we we uh, do love to hear from you. Yes, so we really yes. do. So and and if there's any teachers out there listening, please please email oh, us sure. on our that would our be even better. yeah our website let's talk talking dot com or you can find us on Facebook as well at let's talk talking. So um, yeah, I think we'll shut it down there for today um, for let's talk talking. I'm Cheryl and I'm Sherry. Let's, let's talk. talk.